Welcome to Thames Festival Trust Podcasts for the London's Lost Village Project. In this podcast, Eric Reynolds tells us about the development of the modern Trinity Boy Wharf. So over 200 years ago, Trinity Boy Wharf was purely marshland, yet this remote riverside hamlet turned into a busy industrial site in the 19th century in the ownership of Trinity House. The company was responsible for the installation and maintenance and repair of lighthouses, lightships and buoys around the British coast. Closing in 1988, the site was deserted until a competition for the redevelopment of Trinity Boy Wharf's future was held in 1996, of which urban space management was selected. Eric, can you tell us a bit about what drew you to Trinity Boy Wharf and your initial proposal for the area? I'm Eric George Reynolds. 29743. Trinity House was the last of the inverted commons maritime leases on the site. The site was acquired by the London Docklands Development Corporation, along with most of the rest of the Dockland land. And you will probably be reporting somewhere what the purpose of the LDDC was. Anyway, this was Trinity Boy Wharf, three and a half acres, was the last piece of their uh, estate. This last piece of land shouldn't just be sold as uh, an ordinary development. So there's an international competition for people to develop, people and companies to develop and manage Trinity World Wharf. We were approached uh, and invited, as I think a few other likely organizations were invited, as well as it being an open open call. Uh, a couple of months passed, they received whatever number of uh, 64 in the end, uh, applications from various large and small organizations. And they came back and said, actually, we really would like you to try. And again, I said, no, um, I'm sure you have enough people and you don't need us. Another short period of time passed, and then they came back and said, well, yes, there are other people. But it would be interesting to see, as it were, a left-of-field approach. And so we did, um, reluctantly, uh, enter the competition. And the, uh, our proposal was to say, look, if you're serious about this being constrained to be for people, in the creative industries, in perpetuity, you mustn't sell it. You must retain a significant level of control. And the obvious and simple answer to that would have been for the LEDC to enter into a joint venture with us, and we do the things that we do. But the LEDC were being wound up, so they couldn't. They had, therefore, to set up something else. So I, in my proposal, which is a public document, I suggested that there should be a trust, and the trust should be my landlord, so that there is a proper, easily understood relationship between the charitable aims and the risk-taking developer. So as the risk-taking developer, I suggested that we would enter into a long-term a three-year development agreement where we could be tested and if we failed to do those things we said we would do that we could at no risk to anybody except obviously to me um, 
to be quietly shuffled away and they start again. So in the end that's what happened. A, a trust was set up, Trinity Wolf Trust, which receives 25% of the revenue. And that trust distributes that money as it sees fit in um, support of loosely described, I suppose, I'm not quite sure what it really means by it, people in the creative industries and in education. Essentially though, local. So it's essentially for the, the London boroughs that you can see out of the window. Treaty Boy Wharf is in the middle of three boroughs, in fact, Greenwich on the other side of the river, um, Tarhamis, of course, and the London Borough of Newham. And that was set up, and off we set. So Trinity Boy Wharf is a mixture of historical industrial buildings and up-to-date modern structures. How important was it for you to preserve these buildings in your design of the new structures around it? Not important. With the exception. Obviously there's always an important exception. The, the only actually listed building on the site is what was called the Chain and Boy Store, which is 8,000 square feet of well, really a, a sort of industrial building, brick though of course, um, built in 1860 with now a one remaining um, interesting piece which is uh, an experimental lighthouse. There were two originally. Um, during Trinity House's uh, ownership and operation of Trinity Boy Wharf, they were very practical people. They, they did what was practical for what they were doing, which is providing lights to provide safety for mariners. Uh, so the fact that there was something that we would nowadays pre preserve, we would preserve that that, uh, like the original lighthouse, the first of the two. Uh, no one would think of taking it down. But they didn't care. It, it wasn't practical for them anymore, so they took it down. Um, we, when we arrived on the site, had a different problem. Not a question whether to preserve or not preserve, but we, we had to inexpensively create habitable space. Um, the problem with large industrial spaces is they don't divide up terribly well for small creative groups of people because you, you, you do end up with long corridors and generally not, and certainly not today, um, energy efficient spaces. So we, we didn't even begin to think, now again we would, but we didn't begin to think about um, the questions of embodied energy or any, the rest of the stuff. What we saw was a set of buildings that we would incrementally bring into use. We would try and use those buildings which existed for the purpose, purposes, as we've said, of creative industry, but we would try to spend only economically sensible amounts of money on them, which did not include demolition and rebuild. It, it really was a question of reuse. We're very happy with that situation now because, of course, we're, we're right in line with the current fashion, which is to maintain where we can. So the majority of the uh, buildings that were here were maintained, were put back into economic where possible 
in use. Um, we, where we had to, we upgraded things like electrical installations and so on. Um, and very rapidly, it became clear to us that the brick buildings, some of them quite charming, um, none of them though perfect for use, no, new use, um, could be augmented because there was quite a lot of space the, uh, during the life of uh, Trinity House themselves, they had demolished various structures and in demolishing those structures they left space. So we had an opportunity to try our first new building, um, which we did very quickly, very soon after we arrived, and um, I put it to the trust that this was an experiment, it might turn out to be rubbish, it might not be particularly good, but uh, it was an experiment. The first uh, building that we put up was Container City One, and of course it was very simple for me to do that because containers had been the, the death of, of upriver port activity. The reason that we're all here and not still an active port is because containers changed the way ports operated. So there was an interesting ironic sort of circle here that the thing that would kill the port could be used to start a regeneration. So the first building that we put up was Container City One. £300,000, which allowed us to say we can set the rents at £6 a foot, which is roughly what we thought, um, uh, not necessarily struggling, but a, a young, mainly young artist could afford. So that's, that was another little uh, virtual circle. What can people afford, therefore what can we afford to build, rather than being grant-driven, where we might build something that looks very jazzy, but that actually never really covers its, either its energy or its financial cost. So you've already spoken a bit about this, but Trinity Wharf is obviously a very unique area to develop. So can you tell us a bit about the challenges that came along with this? There really weren't any, other than where it is. It's surrounded by water. It's almost an island. If you, if you count uh, East India Dock, it is actually, with the exception of one ingoing road, an island. The problem was, it was a nowhere place. Um, you don't pass it unless you're flying over the top. It's not on the way to anywhere. So it was considered. Obviously that's one of the reasons why uh, the LEDC held it to the last piece, because there wasn't a uh, um, commercial demand for it. So that was our major problem, how to get it to be an address, a place that people would go to or would want to work at. Indeed, in our, in our first couple of years when we were running uh, summer schools for local schools, our largest expense, larger than staff even, was transp transportation. We had to hire coaches to get people here. We, we were not on anyone's map. So that was the big uh, challenge. Um, but still, right at the beginning, uh, because we recognised the challenge was we weren't on the way to anywhere, in our initial um, master plan, we included a bridge to continue the line of Orchard Place across the River Lee 
so that if people were working in Europe, for example, they could choose to come via Trinity Broad Wharf over our bridge into the area that's Thames Quay. Thames Quay, which is effectively the beginning of the Royal Docks. So I understand the important part of the proposal was allowing it to be better connected to the rest of London, as you were just talking about. Can you tell us how you conducted this throughout the years and how you made it better connected? Well, we didn't really. We, we tried. We obviously made sure we were on all the maps. We did what we could. For example, we built a pier. At the time when I decided to build the pier, uh, we were told you're completely mad. No one will want to come there by river. Why would they? They can use their car. And uh, I didn't agree. I thought that it, it was worth doing. And so we did. We, we put the first, it actually isn't the first, of course, over the life of this, this area. There were many years, most of which have gone. Um, but we put the first new privately owned pier here um, in, uh, about four years after we first arrived and used in typical recycling mode we, we used a Thames lighter as the base we created a workshop in the hold of where, where cargo would normally have been and on the deck uh, we put two classrooms and the reason for the classrooms was to encourage local schools to bring children to understand their river. Of course, also to understand what a lovely place Trinity Bird Wharf was, and when they grew up they might come here as tenants. And so this was an opportunity to be on it, without being driven around, but be on it, and count the swans and <coughs> take um, samples of the river water and so on and so on. After a while, and we, we obviously did not imagine this at the beginning. Uh, after a while, uh, Thames Clipper, the new, very whizzy, high-speed uh, ferry operator, potted along and said, well, could we take over the pier? And the answer was, of course, yes. Very good idea. Let's do it. And now I think it's the longest pier measured in metres uh, on the Thames. It's certainly most active, over 100 people work on it. And again, no effort of mine at all. They, um, Thames Clippers, have made a success out of high-speed river. In fact, you can now um, be carried all the way from Putney, where I started, all the way from Putney and down to Gravesend on the Thames Clipper. For certain things, Trinity World Wolf is now the middle. Um, when we set off here, I wrote a vision, a statement, I mean, if I reread it, which I do at least once a year to make sure that we're still doing what we said we would do. Um, it's all a bit naive, but it is centred on being a yes organisation not a maybe organisation. Maybe is a way of saying no slowly. Um, so some of them have grown older with us. Some, some people have been here as a tenant on site since mm, 1999. 
they either they don't have the energy to go anywhere else, or they're quite enjoying being there. And it's the key thing to offer people an opportunity to, to set their roots. Artists and young people are often used as shock troops. They, they create an interesting place, and then they're booted out by commercial activity. So yeah, I think we have pretty, pretty nearly covered all the points that were in the initial document. Mm. Oh, you asked how it's changed. Well, of course, uh, some of the changes have not been for the better, some of the changes have not. Uh, we change because the world changes. It would be absolutely ridiculous for us to continue to be exactly uh, what we thought we would be, because we didn't know some things were going to exist. An example is the, the event spaces here. We do have people such as Central St. Martins come here to do their, their annual show and, and all that sort of stuff. But also, who would ever have known that we would have 110 weddings a year? So, for some people, of course, that is a good change. Um, I'm, I'm ambivalent about that. However, it is interesting that we, we left enough flexibility. Flexibility, important. So has your development plan ever come into challenges with other developers of the area? Well, the changes in the area, uh, some people will think they're great. Um, we do need places to live and so on. But it is entirely my silly fault. I Originally, the entire peninsula was scheduled on the local area plan for employment, which we were happy with. But I thought also it would be a good idea to have uh, more mixed development, which would include residential. I, though, had in my mind the sort of residential that you might find in an artist community, where there were people who lived and worked and so on. So anyway, we set up an organisation um, of local stakeholders, including local authority, including um, the river authorities as well. And that working party came up with a proposal that the area should become mixed. Very silly of me. I should not have done that because, of course, it has shut out all opportunity for young artists in any of the space other than Trenty Boy Wharf. Because, as any visitor will see, the uh, tower blocks that are around us are selling property at in the order of £900 a foot. Which, for most of uh, obviously Damien has to be okay, but for the majority of people, it's not okay. So it would have been much, much better had I kept my mouth shut and we had left it as mainly uh, employment, because artists work after all, e even writers are working, so uh, that, that would be a good thing. So all sorts of more interesting things would have happened along this peninsula if we, we hadn't opened the uh, high-rise, high high-cost uh, residential genie bottle. 
And apart from the mistakes made during the residential areas, do you think there's been any other um, mistakes in the redevelopment of this area? Initial mistakes were um, largely the building of oversized roads. This area is crushed by large roads and is very divided. Um, that, that's one of the reasons why young people in the Aberfeldy estate never come down to stand and enjoy the River Thames. On a beautiful evening, it's absolutely lovely to stand and, and watch the light change and so on. They don't do it because they're trapped the wrong side of the A13. That existed, but the LDC, one of the many things that it did was think that it had to connect the Royal Docks to Westminster so that people who were going to work in big glass office blocks could drive very quickly through the area. In fact, having spent very large sums of money on the Lower Lee Crossing and the Limehouse Tunnel, um, it still isn't really serving that purpose because the Royals haven't been developed in that way, not yet anyway. Um, but what it has left is a series of concrete roads. So we have an area divided up by rivers, and then further developed, uh, divided up by concrete roads, big roads, six, six lanes wide, um, and of course railway in the form of DLR. Now the DLR, of course, can be bridged quite easily because it's actually a single track or maybe two tracks, but a six lane highway is a very expensive thing to deal with. And how do you think Trinity Boy Wharf is still developing? What are your plans for the future? Um, pretty much uh, in line, again, with our original master plan. We've completed the majority of the new spaces, but we have, although we're struggling hard with it, we have outlined permission for further pieces to uh, increase the amount of did workspace. We could build we had, we had permission in our initial master plan to create 74 uh, live workspaces and we would quite like to do that. We also put in our initial statement maybe an art hotel in the form of a place where people could come and study for a while, stay for a while, not really live here, not really plan to set their life here but come and study something. In a, in a student environment. Um, to do that we have to build two more buildings and currently we are struggling because the level of um, overdevelopment on the immediately surrounding uh, sites. I mean, anyone looking at the images of life as it was in 1960 and then life as it was again in 19... 88 and then life again now we see a tidal wave of residential mono use no employment no new school no new hospital no new um, uh, religious space or and even worse in a way no new public open space so bit of shame so what does the Thames signify to you on a personal level? Well, as absolutely everyone knows, uh, London only 
exists as the capital of the fifth largest economic operation in the world uh, because of the Thames. The Thames means that London is bigger, better, louder and funnier than Paris, for example. Um, the Thames was, of course, and to, to an extent still is, the, the, the means of cleansing London. Um, it has enormous power, and uh, I mean that in the physical sense as well as in, in the emotional sense, enormous power, and should be much more open and respected than it currently is. Unfortunately, the people that we have put in charge of it, for example, the PLA, um, went through a golden age uh, when London was the biggest port in the world and so on and then went into decline and people in decline sell things and unfortunately access to the river has been sold is and continues to be sold which is an error I think I think we should be maintaining what we have here at Trinity Wharf which is open access. You, you can come here, walk your dog, you can come here, bring your granny, you can wander around, you can go to tennis, you can sit on the wall, you can do those things. And I think that's something that, that people in power own, owe, not own, owe to the general public access to the river. For more information on our projects and events, head to thamesfestivaltrust.org, supported by National Lottery Heritage Fund and royal dogs.